This morning, I have uh, the privilege of uh, taking a few moments to go back and look at the story of the first ever Palm Sunday. We just want to take some time to, to lean into that story a little bit. And if you've never heard this story before, I just want to say congratulations. I, I envy so much that experience of hearing some of these Jesus stories for the very first time. If you've heard this story over and over again, I pray that you would listen to it like it's something we're hearing for the very first time. Asking the Spirit of God, would you reveal things to me afresh as we look at this story um, together. And we just want to ask, is there anything that we can learn from the story and apply to our lives even all of these centuries later? We are going to be in John chapter 12. We're going to turn to that section of scripture uh, together in a little bit. You can feel free to go there now if you'd like. John uh, chapter 12. But before we get to this story, let me just give you a little bit of the context of what was happening um, around Palm Sunday. Uh, so uh, John chapter 11. I'll start a chapter back and kind of run way into John chapter 12. But in John chapter 11, uh, John recounts the, the story of arguably the most show-stopping thing Jesus did during his earthly ministry. Jesus, he went to a graveyard one time. And um, when he was there in front of a horde of people, he told a man who had been dead for four days to get on up. And the guy did came hopping out of the grave in front of all of these people. And they lost their minds. People didn't just buy stock in Jesus. They started to spread the word about him like crazy wildfire. Jesus went epically viral. You've got to come and get a glimpse of this master miracle worker. Um, the problem was... There was a group of uh, religious leaders, very powerful, influential religious leaders who already hated Jesus. And when they heard about Jesus' most recent display, they went into full freak out mode. And it was scary. If we don't stop this guy, people are going to continue to flock to him. And if we lose our followers, we will lose our influence. And if we lose our influence, we will lose our voice with the Roman government. And if we lose our voice with the Roman government, they will come and they will take our church and they will take our country. And for them, that is an unacceptable outcome. And so they go full-fledged in their commitment that Jesus must die. Jesus catches wind of the threats on his life. And uh, just as his fame is peaking, Jesus vanishes. John 11, he goes off the grid, out of the public eye, into hiding with his disciples somewhere in the wilderness. No one can find him. Jesus vanishes without a trace. Um, 
When we get to John chapter 12, it's about a week before Passover. And uh, Passover was this massive annual Jewish religious festival that was held in the capital city of Jerusalem. Uh, And it was held to commemorate the day centuries before when God um, freed his people, the Jews, from the slavery of the Egyptians. And this festival would happen in Jerusalem and it would last for days and days and days. Um, So people have come from everywhere for this Passover festival and Jerusalem is positively buzzing. But the topic of conversation at the tip of everyone's tongue is not about Passover. The topic of conversation is where's Jesus? Has anyone seen Jesus? Where did he go? But his fans are brilliant and they piece things together and they figure out Jesus is a devout religious Jewish man. We know there is no chance he's going to miss showing up for the Passover festival. He's going to show up soon enough. Has anyone seen him? We know he's going to come here. So let's all go and flock to Jerusalem so that we can't just celebrate Passover, but we can get a glimpse of Jesus. Unfortunately, his enemies, the the religious leaders, they had the exact same idea. We know Jesus is not going to miss Passover. He's going to come to Jerusalem. And when he does, whoever sees him, got to kill him. We've got to take him out. And everybody, interestingly enough, was correct. Six days before Passover, Jesus emerges from hiding. But he doesn't go to Jerusalem first, as everyone might have expected. He goes to a little town about two miles east of Jerusalem called Bethany. What for? He goes to hang out with some friends of his, goes to spend a night with some friends of his, Uh, a lady named Mary, her older sister named Martha, and their little brother, a dude by the name of Lazarus, who you might also recognize from episodes such as Jesus raised me from the dead a little bit ago. Same guy. So Jesus goes to check in on them. How's it going? Hey, Lazarus, how's it feel to be breathing again, right? Goes to spend some time with them, needless to say, Word spread. Jesus is back. And people start to flock towards him. And you can understand this whole risen reunion thing. Are you kidding me? Double the spectacle. The guy who rose from the dead and the guy who raised him from the dead are in the same little town. People start leaving the festival preparations in Jerusalem and make their way towards Bethany to go catch a glimpse of Jesus and Lazarus as well. Anyway. After this slumber party on that Saturday night, Jesus wakes up the next morning and he does what everybody expected him to do. He starts his two-mile journey westward towards Jerusalem for Passover. And when he starts to make that trip, he breaks the internet. He steals every headline. This becomes the most central thing happening in the world at the time. All right, John chapter 12, verse 12. Here's what the account records. The next day, after the slumber party, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. 
And they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Wow. This is it. John has been painting this escalating, intensifying picture of the level of hype that's been surrounding Jesus. And when we get to chapter 12, verse 12, it has hit a tipping point. It has never been more buzzy around Jesus. The anticipation, the excitement has never been as high as it is here. Thousands and thousands of people, right? They've heard that Jesus Christ is walking towards Jerusalem and they rush and they line the streets and they start to lay down palm branches almost as a red carpet for him to walk in on. Whoa. Why all of this buzz all of a sudden? I'll tell you why. Because with all of the accumulating and epic things that Jesus has been doing in the world around them, none least of which was raising a guy from the grave, the people in his world have become entirely convinced. I knew it. He's the one. I knew it. Jesus is the guy. Jesus is the deliverer that our people have been waiting centuries and centuries for. Jesus is this Jewish warrior king. I knew it. He's the one that our great-grandparents told us that God would send into our world and he would free us from all of our oppressors. And here he is heading towards Jerusalem on Passover, the day of deliverance. Woo! He's the guy. It's going down right now. He is the Messiah who is going to eliminate all of our political enemies. And then he will establish his eternal kingdom that no one will ever be able to defeat. And we as Jews get to be a part of it. I knew it. He's the guy. And here he goes. The buzz is crazy. So they immediately stage a rally. And I'm sorry if you've had it twisted, if you knew this story before. Palm Sunday is not a worship procession. It's a political rally. They line the streets and they lay down palm branches. Palm branches with symbols of victory over their enemies. This is a rally. Here he goes. And then they start chanting. Hosanna! How favored is the warrior king who comes in the name of God. Hosanna! Which means rescue us. Rescue us. And oh, come on. They're not chanting, Jesus, rescue us from our sins and make us right with God. They are chanting, rescue us from our political oppressors. Crush them. Put them in the ground. And start this new empire for all of us. You're the guy. And here you go. And they start chanting, go Jesus, fight 
Jesus, kill. Jesus, go. Fight. Kill. This is a crazy scene here on the road to Jerusalem. Now, we've got to say for the record that they were partially right about Jesus, but they had a lot of misconceptions about him sprinkled in there. Jesus was the promised Messiah. True. But uh, he had not come primarily to rescue them from the oppressive power of the Roman government. He had come primarily to rescue them from the oppressive power of sin and Satan. He was the warrior king, absolutely. God's favored, chosen warrior king. But he wasn't going to win a war by shedding Roman blood. He was going to win a war by shedding his own blood on a Roman cross. And he hadn't come to just rescue the Jews. He had come as a rescuer for the entire world. In other words, Jesus was much more impressive than they could ever have imagined in their political rally and their chanting for him. But nonetheless, here they were. Go! Fight! Kill! Go, Jesus! Woo! Let's go! And as you can imagine, Jesus was fired up by their chance. And so... In in response to all of this motivation, verse 14 says, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. (laughs) The Bible is so good. Are you reading this? Go, Jesus, fight, kill, let's go. And Jesus is like, meh. And he gets on a donkey. And he starts moving towards Jerusalem at approximately one mile an hour. This is funny to me. He could have walked faster than he was moving on this little donkey. This is funny to me. What an anticlimactic buzzkill on that Palm Sunday. Military warrior would typically come riding on a horse with an army. Here comes Jesus on a little donkey with some ex-fishermen. This is just, this is good. I can imagine people like, Hosanna? I guess? (laughs) This is funny to me. Um, Yeah, I'm sure Jesus lost some style points. Lost some clout, lost some followers, a little disappointing if you were there and you had bought stock in Jesus, the great warrior king who would march into Jerusalem and win some kind of a war. Are you sure this is the guy? You said this was him. This guy? Verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it as it is written do not be afraid daughter Zion see your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt (laughs) oh this is great Jesus sits on a donkey as it is written in 
God's word. That's powerful. Jesus sits on the donkey in this anticlimactic gesture as it is written in God's word. Not as was desired by the majority of people as it is written in God's word. Not as was expected by his constituents as was written in God's word. Not as was hyped by the media. Not as was chanted by these religious ralliers. No, as was written in God's word. That's powerful in the midst of all the noise and the melee and all of the hype. Jesus is fixated on one thing. What has my father called me to be and do? And Jesus doesn't get on a donkey because it's popular. No, but because it was prophetically predicted in the word of God. And he's here to live up to his father's word and will. Verse 16. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. This is very interesting. So his disciples who had walked with him for years and years are watching Jesus do all of this and uh, they are completely confused. They have no clue what is going on. Wait, why is he getting on a donkey? I don't know. He didn't tell me he was going to do that. I'm as surprised as you. Do you have any explanation for why he might be doing this? No clue what's going on. Why are all of these people yelling? We don't know. This makes no sense to us. This is not how we saw our day going. So just keep smiling and just nod and just keep walking. One mile an hour towards Jerusalem. It says it was only much later with a little holy revelation that they started to understand what was happening here. But regardless of the whole donkey situation and the deep disappointment of a number of these people, the word just continued to spread that Jesus was heading to Jerusalem. Verse 17. Now the crowd... That was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead. They continued to spread the word. And many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. Right. So there was a group of people that like, we don't know anything about the Messiah and all of that stuff. But we heard this guy can raise people from the dead and we just want to get a glimpse of him and the buzz continued people continued to come after him and so the picture on palm sunday is there are thousands of people with thousands of expectations of what they might see or what jesus might do as he heads towards jerusalem while jesus just casually click clacks his way to the capital city verse 19 so The Pharisees, these powerful religious leaders, said to one another, "Uh, things are getting out of hand. Boys, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. 
their worst nightmare is becoming true. Jesus is growing a following and there are many people whose affections are turning to him and everybody's attention is on him. And for these leaders, they couldn't handle this. They were losing clout, they were losing influence and that was a little much for them. And so they doubled down on their plan to end Jesus' life. And as we start to move towards Good Friday, It's these guys who are going to put together the plan to eliminate Jesus eventually on the cross. As Palm Sunday wraps, there is this diabolical plan that's put into place to kill Jesus. That was the first Palm Sunday. And I just wanted us to become a little bit more familiar with that first Palm Sunday and what it looked like. But I also wanted us to take a few minutes to ask a couple of questions. Here's the first question. I'm curious to know, if you were there, what would you have been doing? Let me just be creative with our minds. Church is a great place for creativity. If you were there on that first Palm Sunday, what would you have been doing? What role would you have played in that first Palm Sunday? Who are you in this Palm Sunday story? Because there are a lot of options that I saw in here, but a few of them that stood out to me. And let's see which one you might identify. Because for some of us, we might look at this story and be like, I relate to the disciples. Because I have walked with Jesus for so many years and he continues to do shocking and surprising things that I just cannot explain. And to be honest, I don't always appreciate it. I love that part of the story. The disciples, they had no clue. They didn't understand what Jesus was doing and they couldn't explain it to anyone until later on. In retrospect and with a little revelation. Did they get that Jesus was fulfilling the will and the word of God? He's always fulfilling the will and the word of God. And for some of us, we may, I identify with that. And I'm just saying, for those of us who might fall in that camp, Palm Sunday is such a beautiful reminder that Jesus is going to do things sometimes and he's going to allow things sometimes that baffle and puzzle us and we have no clue why he's doing the least efficient of all things he could possibly be doing in the most confusing ways he could possibly be doing them and the question is are we going to follow him still um if you're anything like me i like to have an explanation for why jesus did something especially when people know that i know jesus and they might ask me how on earth could something like this happen in our world again while your jesus is sitting on his throne that makes no sense and i love the disciples in this story Because for many of us, Palm Sunday may just be an invitation for us to be willing to say, Jesus, you are bigger than I can ever know. And become more comfortable. Like, I don't understand. 
And for some reason, I think in the church, we struggle. It's almost like a sign of immaturity for me to say, I have no clue why Jesus allowed that to come into your life. I have no clue why Jesus would allow us to walk this path. I have no clue why he didn't respond in that particular way. And for some of us, it is just the invitation on this Palm Sunday, just like the disciples to be. I don't understand what Jesus is doing and I don't feel like I need to understand it to keep following him. Because I believe and trust that he's always doing the will and the word of God. Maybe for some of you, it's not the disciples you relate to. It's the disappointed in this story. I'm just saying, if we're honest, there are many of us who have been deeply disappointed by donkey Jesus, man. We were just convinced he would come riding as a hero on a horse and he would make everything better right away. And nope, slowly moving Jesus, not seeming to do very much of what we hoped that he would do. I heard he raises the dead and so I went to church and I started chanting for him and I expected that he would ride in and he would fix and he would heal my diseases but I'm still sick. I'm a little disappointed in this Jesus guy. I'm just saying he hasn't lived up to all of the hype that everybody has. I thought he would come riding in on a horse and he would help my hurting marriage. And the reality is my marriage feels like it's hurting even more. I am so deeply disappointed with Jesus. It feels like this nation has just continued to get more and more messed up. I thought that if we chant certain things and that if we said certain things and if we lay the right things down that Jesus would fix. But it seems like things to me are getting worse. I'm disappointed with Jesus. I'm just telling you. The struggle didn't go away. You told me that he wanted and it was going to, and nope. Very disappointed with Jesus. I could have sworn he would bring my kids back. I could have sworn that he would heal and help our family to be whole. And he didn't. And for some of us, that's what we relate to. I was cheering and I was believing, and then he got on a disappointing donkey. Now, don't talk to me about no, he's gonna heal me eventually in heaven. Like, come on, that's that's not what was advertised. I thought you would do it now, and I'm disappointed. And this Palm Sunday, I wonder if for some of us, Jesus isn't inviting us to be willing to say. Your story is better than my expectation. Your story is better than my expectation. Because I'm telling you, I read this story and I want you to know for every disappointment you've had with Jesus, there is a better story that he is telling. There is a better version of the story for every one of our disappointments. And just think about this. If Jesus had come into Jerusalem riding on a horse and he had cracked some Roman heads, then for a few people in that century, they might have experienced a little bit of relief. But for the rest of the world, we would have been doomed enemies of the living God. 
who could have known that it was donkey Jesus fulfilling prophecy, heading to a cross to open the portals of heaven and invite us to sit at his table as friends of his and to be part of his kingdom. And I'm telling you, that's true in my life. There are times when I'm like, Jesus, this would be the better path. And Jesus is riding a donkey saying, listen, my story is better than whatever your expectation is. There is a better version that is being written even in your deepest disappointment about Jesus. And on Palm Sunday, is there a willingness in you to just lay that at his feet and acknowledge, listen, your story is better than my expectation. Man, I remember even as a teenager, one of my greatest disappointments is when I had to leave my closest friends to leave and go to a different country. And I was devastated. Like, these are my people. These are, this is my crew. God, how could you do this to me? Jesus, this is so disappointing. I was in a depression. I was sad. I was miserable um, you know, about that loss of those friends. I was reminded about this just maybe a couple of months ago when I saw once again in the international headlines that my buddies are on the run, the top most wanted. I'm not even going to give you categories so you can start searching um, them out. I don't want them coming looking for me uh, like that. But man, they have gotten into the highest level of global crime. And I'm like, we would have been rolling together. And it's true for some of y'all. You might still be with that ex that you're grieving, right? But the point is, I am so convinced that my disappointment is the end of the story and Jesus is typically writing a better one. If there is a disappointment, Jesus is writing a better story. And, And the question is, can I embrace that? Uh, for some of us, it's not the disappointment in the story. We relate to the, the deluded. Um, and this one's a hard one to admit. Um, the deluded crowd, right? The people who believed Jesus was something he wasn't. The people who had bits and pieces of who Jesus was, but it was morbidly incomplete. The people who believe Jesus was some kind of a national messiah. Maybe our version isn't that Jesus is a national, you know, deliverer, but our version is Jesus is a hero created in our image for our purpose and our plans, right? We've pieced together enough things about Jesus to make him out to be a hero who's on a mission to overthrow all of the people and the institutions that we don't like. This is the version of Jesus I've seen emerge in the church in the last number of years. The Jesus who exists to protect our rights and our dreams and our way of life. Go Jesus. Uh, and this is it's not something we're typically going to acknowledge. But I'll tell you even in simple ways we might do this. Go Jesus. I went to church and I chanted, go Jesus, um, go away. Well, just, I'm just saying, if you don't mind just eliminating my coworker because they're a rival for this uh, promotion that I'm looking for. So Jesus, just get them out of the way for my way of life to thrive. Jesus, you're on my side. You're my hero. <laughs> and we'll do this as parents. Like We'll sit on the sidelines. We'll be like, yes, Jesus, may our team crush their team and put them in the ground. And may my kid be the best athlete on the floor. 
Jesus, come on. You're on our side. You're our hero. And you're here to to, to just facilitate our dreams and our desires and our outcomes. And the hilarious thing is you look at the other side and the other parents are like, Jesus, you're our hero. Crush their team. And she's like, I don't know what to do. I'm so confused. I'm torn. But there is this image we have of Jesus as this celestial, you know, wish granter. Who exists to make our lives a little bit more comfortable. And Jesus, we are asking you to eliminate this political party. Because they're standing in the way of these values that we believe are this, that, and the other. Jesus, come on, roll in and be the hero who delivers our rights and our outcomes. And if we're not careful, what we think our worship service is will be nothing than religious rallies in which we chant for Jesus to take away all our problems while we throw words and songs at his feet that cost us nothing. And this Palm Sunday, I wonder if the invitation for for us wouldn't be to declare, Jesus, establish your kingdom Not my preferences. Have your way. Not mine. Do whatever it is you're doing. Go wherever it is you're going. And give me the grace, the faith, the courage to follow along in faith. Man, this is the toughest one. Because I'm typically... Not aware or willing to admit the ways in which I believe Jesus is on my side. And he hates the same people I hate. And he wants to destroy the same things that I want destroyed. And he wants my kids to win over your kids every time. Come on Jesus. I mean we're your people. So aren't you going to? Jesus establish your kingdom not my preferences. Um, speaking of hard to relate to, maybe for some of us, we are most like the diabolical leaders in this story. These plotting Pharisees. That's who we would relate to if we were honest. We're the diabolical enemy in this scene. Um, not because you want Jesus dead, no. But because just like the Pharisees, You deeply resist the idea that Jesus should get more glory or attention than you do. You never say it, but when you're in the places you go to or when you're the people that you you know, uh, who do you want them to leave most impressed with? You? Or Jesus. I'm just saying if we were honest, honest. We're so like the Pharisees. And we talked about this last week, right? Like I know I should talk more about Jesus. But I'm not ready for my clout to drop. So that his might increase in their eyes. I'm not running the risk of saying something dumb. Then people will look at me like I'm dumb while I lift Jesus up. So if you could lift Jesus up and it would make you look like less, are you willing to do that? Mm -mm. Like the Pharisees. 
letting him get that attention. And it seeps into churches even. Like, yeah, I mean, if, Jesus, I want you to save our entire county, but make sure they come to church at Mission Point. Because we can't have them going worshiping in other places. Like, wait, is it about me? Or is it about your empire? No, I mean, we, it's about you, but may you increase and we increase with you. I'm not ready to make Jesus greater than me in my world. Can't have people talking about all that Jesus has done and not emphasize me. I'm not ready for people to look at me and say, I don't remember his name or very much about him, but he's one of those Jesus people. Like, oh, don't reduce me to that. Oh, that's a reduction. Yeah. I don't want people saying like, God has given you so many gifts. I know, but you guys keep saying God has given me gifts. And if you keep saying that, then there's no one paying attention to how much I've worked and how hard I've worked. And and if you're not paying attention to how hard I've worked, how can you make me better than other people? This is not working out for me. By emphasizing what Jesus has done. I found this true when I was in the tennis sphere a few weeks ago. Like I started to find myself getting annoyed when people would introduce me as a pastor. I'm like, stop it. Why are you trying to dim my shine? All of a sudden you want people to associate me with church and with Jesus. Like stop it. I want people to think of me as talented and at a chiseled jaw or something like this, right? Like but don't, don't do that to me. And I'm like, whoa. Pharisee. There are so many areas in my life in which I don't want Jesus to be a bigger deal than me. And in fact, if Jesus becomes a bigger deal than me in my school, then all of the cute ones will stop doing all of the things that I like. And then they'll become a little bit, so no, nope, let's keep Jesus out. So that my stuff can continue to increase I'm just saying before we get too judgy about these Pharisees who felt threatened by Jesus growing fame can you relate is there a part of you that doesn't mind Jesus being squashed in your life so you don't lose something If my kids get too radical for Jesus, they might end up being missionaries. And then they'll end up leaving. And we can't have that. Oh no. Some students were telling me that in the first service. Like, oh no, my parents not fans of the thought that I might break out of the mold and go after Jesus in radical ways. And parents are like, okay, no, no, not if it means that. Not willing for Jesus to shine that much. If it becomes a threat and we run the risk of losing our kids to some other country. Nope. I'm just asking, can we relate to this on this Palm Sunday? And for some of us, the invitation might be just the willingness to say, Jesus, become greater in my life and in their eyes than I am. That's a tough one for me. How about for you? Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. It is all the melee and all the chaos of a bunch of people who had all of their thoughts and all of their expectations and all of their beliefs about Jesus. And I'm just asking, which do you relate to most? And what 
is heaven inviting you to chant this Palm Sunday? What picture of Jesus is heaven inviting you to lay down like a palm branch? What disappointment is heaven inviting you to lay at the feet of Jesus and invite him to just walk on it as he is running after God's word and running after God's purpose? Because isn't that the beauty of the story? Isn't that the good news? That regardless of what diabolical schemes were happening or what doubts or what disappointments what disillusionment about Jesus, what delusions about Jesus. In regardless of all of those things, Jesus just continued click clacking his way to the cross. And on the cross, he carried all of our doubts and all of our disappointments and all of our wrong perceptions about him and opened the door and invited us to come and be his friends nonetheless. The question is, am I willing to just lay it all down and in Jesus be who you are in all that you are, in all of your greatness and all of your glory and give me the grace to not only surrender but eventually just catch up to who it is that you are and embracing what it is that you have said about yourself. I love that this story sets up the greatest seen in human history. Jesus heading to a cross to die for people who had all kinds of hopes and expectations. To die for people who were sinfully enemies of God. And to open this door for us to experience the greatest victory of all. Sin has been defeated. Death has been defeated. The better story is ours to enjoy. The doors to the eternal kingdom have been opened. And we get to come in because of Jesus and what he has done. We're going to share in communion here in just a few moments. And what an incredible opportunity for us to celebrate the war that Jesus won on the cross. Not with Roman blood, but with his own blood. The war that Jesus won in the empty tomb that we'll talk about next week. And communion is just a reminder of the blood he shed and his body that was broken to win the ultimate war for us. So I don't know what the Spirit of God is inviting you into. But what we want to invite you into is come to the table. Come to Jesus, embracing him as he is, who he is, what he says about him, laying down what I think he should be and what I think he should do, and just coming to him and saying, be all you are, and I surrender all I am to all that you, that you are.